Welcome to the Gift and Neurodivergent Child Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the understanding and cultivating Judiaki genius and gifted neurodivergent children. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast. My name is Lillian Skinner. On this podcast, this is actually the child podcast, I am going to talk about art and the intelligence of the artists. We have this very weird thing going on in our system. It started back in ancient Egypt where they separated and created a hierarchy of education so that those of us who are well-rounded in intelligence were forced into one area. The reason for that is those of us who are well-rounded in intelligence, those of us who are highly creative, those of us who are highly sensitive, we see the big picture. And right now we're at a time where more and more people are seeing the big picture than ever before because we are being flooded with information. Some of it accurate, some of it not so accurate. And some of that information is very illuminating. And for those of us who are raising small children who are very creative, very brilliant, and they go to school every day and they're told the opposite, it's a time for us to do some reflection, very significant reflection on what we want the future to be for our children. There was an article I read just recently that said, the class clown is the smartest child in the class, studies have found. And there was two articles on it, and I'll post those in the notes. And then there was another study that said, the NEA believes that artists are smarter. It said that creatives are smarter, more intellectual. It said they're more entrepreneurial than average people. And of course, they're more entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurs are creators. So they are artists. Entrepreneurs are artists. In my opinion, I would call them intellectual artists. But they're both technical creators. They're both job business creators. I mean, they're creators. So that makes them in the same space as artists. Now, my creativity and my cognition are really high. I have both the high, high sensitivity and the high realization of that. And I know that it's not very common because I come from a family of creators and they all tried to lynch me many times as a child because I said the things you're not supposed to say. I can't not say that. That's kind of my thing in life is to say it. I'm a philosopher. I am a, a soothsayer, whatever you call those. My brain just wraps around the big picture and then sort of projects it backwards and forwards into history and the future. I have been really attacked by adults, particularly teachers and as a woman, I'm not supposed to say those things. As a female, I should know my place. And also as a non-scientist, I shouldn't say these things. So be it. That's their opinion. This is mine. I'm going to say those things. I have three children who have really struggled in the system. And it's not for lack of intelligence. It's the opposite reason. I'm starting to see more and more information coming out that's validating what I have always believed and what I have always seen. Since I was a little girl, I have known the smartest kids in the class were the class clowns. Sometimes I am one of those class clowns, and other times I'm not. What I want to talk about today is how those are just gifted overexcitabilities. That when you're trying to pay attention in class and it is boring, but you like the topic, you will become the class clown. Because you're engaging with it, and you're talking about it, and you're trying to get a back and forth going because you're so smart, you should have that one-on-one with the teacher. But you're not allowed it. So the teacher says, you shut up, be quiet, you're in trouble for not being right. And that's what our system does. That's a hierarchy it creates so that you never become your full fruition of your talent. Its whole job is to segment us all out, separate us from each other, keep the smartest from each other, and put us all into slots so that we can benefit upward. It does work when it first starts out. It works out quite nicely because we have separation of duties, and that is an ideal thing, right? But the problem is it's done in a hierarchy. If we did the separation of duties where everybody was flat, I'm sure that we'd get some sort of thing where everybody was wanting to do the creative stuff and not necessarily the focus stuff. But there's still some people that want to do the focus stuff. People are going to move around. And I do think that there needs to be some sort of system where you're rewarding people that do the harder stuff that nobody else wants to do. But it doesn't need to be this hierarchy. 
small towns are kind of nice because you're never going to build that level of hierarchy. Not that you don't have small towns that are hierarchical and that's not true, but I think we're going to have to go back to those smaller communities because we're looking at the cities not being sustainable. We're looking at having to be self-sustainable, especially as we go into environmental issues. I think that we need to be very careful in our future and start reconsidering everything that we were taught and thinking about something in a new light. Now, I've been doing a lot of reading on ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt was the place where they really honed all of that separating people out, and that was 4,500 years ago. Ancient Egypt wasn't considered patriarchal. They did track property and such through the suns, and they did have pharaohs that were both male and female, but the pharaohs that were male were preferred and the females could also be. So it wasn't considered full patriarchy yet. There was a female pharaoh that was particularly well-known and had a lot of power and, and had a fairly long reign that was peaceful, but she is one instance and mostly men. They built these amazing systems on the backs of slaves, on the backs of the people who were sort of enslaved mentally. It went all to building things for the pharaohs so that they could maintain immortality, essentially in a representation of those giant stone structures, the pyramids. Can't help but think we're kind of going back there again. And I want to have people pause and realize that this is on the backs of the creatives. It's backs on the intellectual artists. It's on the, it's on the backs of those of us who are the brightest and we are not compensated for it. In fact, we're marginalized. We're stuck in the corners. And those beautiful little boys, I had one, who were the class clowns, were actively trying to be a participant in their education and were shut down because it is not a two-way education. It is a one-way. And the smarter you are, the more you need it to be two-way. I can give you an instance of this. Just recently, my third grader was telling my other daughter and I a story. And we kept interjecting and saying, what happened or this happened? And she said, you're being really rude. You need to stop interjecting. And I realized... We are not allowed to interject when we talk. We live in the South and her teachers are constantly saying, boys and girls, you need to be quiet. You need to not interject. You need not to be rude. And they're constantly pushing on this her and she's starting to bring it home now and tell us that. It's very interesting for me because we have created this space where we all kind of talk and bounce things around and we're very equal and there's not really a lot of rules. And my kids know the rules of society. That's why I put them in school. But I also at home release them because I grew up in a very oppressive environment with a lot of games and a lot of mental anguish. And I just was not going to recreate that. And I realized that this is something they do to, to curb us, those of us who are creative learners, because I really do need to have a running dialogue of people when they talk, because my brain is really high level complex and it needs to fill in the gaps of information. If I listen to your whole story and I haven't connected it as I've gone with the details that you, you didn't give and I needed, you'll lose me and I will be thinking about 20 other things. But if I'm actually asking questions like, for clarity, what's this? What's that? It means I'm following you and building the model in my head that you're describing, and then I can be useful for you. But we don't allow people to actually interject and say, I need clarity. You're supposed to just be quiet and receive. And I ran into this when I was working in banking and public accounting, where I wasn't allowed to ask over people and I'd have to be sitting there quiet. And I never was really able to get clarity on what I needed. They would give me a list of questions that I needed to ask, and I really only needed to turn in those. But those questions didn't actually give me the visual I needed. And then when I got more seniority and I started asking questions and stopping people saying, can I ask a clarifying question and getting more information? I was asking questions that weren't on the list and I got in trouble for that because then I could see things and know to the full depth of the risk that they were presenting. But that wasn't what they wanted. They really didn't want that. And I kind of knew I needed to get out because I was set up to be a failure. I was not going to be successful. And so I did, I got out. And since then I've gone on to realize that's not stupidity, that's intelligence. And then I had, with my children, 
watching them struggle and going, oh, I went through that. That's not stupidity. That's intelligence. And so now I'm at this place where I'm seeing the entire picture and I realize that our emotions and our intellect are supposed to connect. We are supposed to have those come together so that we can reach our full potential. I don't know that it comes together in childhood for everyone. It didn't come until I was freed from the system. That's when I was finally able to get it to happen. My emotions and intellect were always somewhat connected, but I was working against my emotions and not using them. They are meant to be used. They're meant to be incorporated into your big picture and they are extra data points for you so that you have a better, more clear, more in-depth, a better understanding of what you're talking about, what you're trying to understand. And I find in our society, we do all these diagrams and those diagrams are flat and they're boring. I use them to study and pass tests as I got older and to get through certifications. But once I was actually done, I threw them out and I never looked at them again. And I keep looking at these examples of this is how you pass system security. This is how you do coding. It's all 2D and it doesn't actually represent the real world. It's fascinating to me because it's just a shallow representation of the vocabulary of that moment. That's all it is. It's not an actual education of learning and applying. It's just a shallow representation so you can speak the same language, but you haven't learned how it actually functions. When I got out into the real world, they both wanted me to have that deep picture, but only in a way that they allowed it. Those of us with that very deep picture, the big mental modeling abilities, that the, the higher access to our subconscious, just the deeper understanding, they're constantly dancing with you where they psychologically play this game, telling you that you're not right, but then also asking you to pick up the big projects for you to see the things that they cannot see. They marginalize you, put you in the corner, they use your intelligence, but then they don't let you out because you're gonna say the things you're not supposed to say. Realize now with clients, and also when I look back on my history, that I used to share everything because I was looking for both validation, but also not sure what they wanted me to provide because I could see so much. And they would get mad at me because I was sharing too much if we were with someone that I could charge, but not sharing enough if I was just one-on-one. -on -one. And I was never really sure what to share or not to share because I was never really trained where I stood in the spectrum of intelligence. And so I was oversharing and they were saying, oh, well, you need to go in the back office where as if I had known where I sat, then I would have known what my value was and I would have shared the appropriate amount. And I work with people every day where I am just literally saying, you don't need to give them everything up front. You don't need to prove your value. Your value is proven. They hired you already. Now you have to give them only enough so that they keep you coming back. But do not give it all away. Do not give it all away for free. And that is what the system teaches us. It teaches us never to know our true value. So we give it away for free. And then we get marginalized in the back office because they are like, oh, you're going to give too much away. But they're not actually teaching you what's the proper amount so that you can go out into the world and be your best self. They think, oh, this person's really smart. I'm going to use them to get me up the ladder and I'll dribble at that out because they know the value of what you have to say. You do not. You were restricted from that. This is how our hierarchy subverts the intelligence, natural hierarchy, and gets average people in front of the brightest because they deny the brightest their intelligence the whole time. And so they get stuck behind average people who then have to speak for them because it really is only about vocabulary, staying in your silo and not about bridging the gaps and keeping the most intelligent, the big picture seers in a place where they can do the most good and value for everyone. You don't actually have a social issue. What you have is a 
issue of lack of mirroring because people have not shown you what your intelligence is on the spectrum. And so you're speaking in the manner that you would for your natural self. And instead it's being marginalized and told that that's a deficiency. It's not a deficiency. It's a lack of mirroring. And that's why they keep us apart in the system. And that's why we have so much hierarchy. And that's how they exploit the brightest creative children and teach them that they're less than. I'm trying to figure out for my children exactly how we navigate that because with AI, even as I use it right now, I am seeking things that AI doesn't want to give me. And it's like a little battle every time. I have to read between the lines. And because I can, because I can see how those models come together because my brain does wrap around that, the AI information is enough because it gives me a little tiny bit that I can then use. But most people don't have that. Most people just take the AI and regurgitate it. And that's what our systems ask you to do. The problem is, is that our future will not survive on that. It will be easily replicated. And those of us who can see that multi-models in our brains, the ones that can connect all those things, who have that triangle learning I've talked about in my other podcast, we are the ones who will thrive. But they're trying to control us. They're trying to keep us down. They're trying to be on top of that. And that's what we have to figure out, how to free our children, how to free and let them be their full potential. They were on it very early with my oldest. And my oldest is now in his mid-20s. With my youngest, they're still doing it. I put her in Montessori and I see the teachers using shame. And I see the teachers constantly letting them know that they need to follow the rules and the, and the manners. Because we moved up from South Florida to more in the South. The school's education was quite different. And my daughter and I talk about it every day. And I do keep her in it so that she can see. And I do move her around so that she can see because I see that as part of her education. It's not my job to raise a child who can't fit in. It's a job to raise a child who can see all the sides, who can use them. So she has the most capability she possibly can have. And I realize I have to do that while she's young, before she hits her largest cognitive growth spurt, because then we explode in our sensitivity. It's like our sensing is actually comes online and then we can actually translate almost in real time. But if I don't get her the world sort of layout before then, she'll never get it. And so it's very important for me to put my kids in the school, in the system to some degree when they're little. And then I pull them out as they get older because that's when our sensitivity comes up. And that is very common in the gifted, in the profoundly gifted groups. We have later cognitive growth spurts. The smartest kids have those later ones that are most significant. And the boys can have them well into their 20s. I would say for my oldest, he definitely was in his 20s. And I would say for many young boys that whose parents are stressing and come to me and ask me, what should I do for my son? He's an adult now and he's not there. And I'm like, he'll be there, help him go into things he likes. They will come around, they will all connect and he will be amazing. But we have to give them that extended childhood because they are so brilliant. They have so much more to learn with so much depth and so much greater. And the daughters get it earlier because biologically they hit it earlier, but they still need that time too. There's a whole lot out there on the hero's journey. And they talk about how men go on a hero's journey and women, Joseph Campbell talked about this in his Pathways to Bliss book. He talked about how women actually don't need to go on a hero's journey because that's kind of what motherhood is. And so women actually have it handed to them with parenthood because it's a very solitary journey and you are tested to the maximum extreme. And our systems really do test you. They make, they make it very lonely for women, especially of an outlier child. And I had outlier children and I had them very far apart. And so for two years, their first two years of life, I was almost completely left alone trying to attend to this child who had very high needs but wasn't ill, just struggled. It needed me. She needed me. He needed me. They just needed their mom more than other kids. And so I sat there with them and I gave it to them as much as I could. And my 
my oldest, it was the hardest because I was working and going to school and I really didn't sleep for like the first five years of his life and it was pretty bad. With the younger two, I almost died from a seizure and was like, okay, yeah, now it's time to like take some time down. I had to do what I could for them. And it was worth it because I have very centered children for how high of sensitivity are for all the neurodivergence we have. My children walk through the world with an intense amount of self-understanding, intense amount of ability to, to find their center in the worst situations. And this allows them to really leave me and go out. And I do get a lot of phone calls and they say, mom, what do I do about this? Or how about that? And I remember calling my parents at their age and asking some conversations. I was always a little bit hesitant to tell my parents the truth because they kind of judged really quick. I used to ask them, what would you do? And then I would do the opposite of it because I didn't trust my parents' judgment. But my children, they trust my judgment. And so they actually take my advice, not always, but usually, and it pays off for them. And they don't have to ask me twice. Sometimes they'll call and say, okay, you were right last time. So tell me again what it was with more detail. And I'll tell them again. And I don't ever judge. I just say, this is part of your learning. This is part of your growing. If I were to criticize, then it would be that imposter syndrome I'm essentially imprinting on their brain. So every time they'd make a decision of themselves that they hear. We have to be careful with our sensitive children, with our really brilliant, creative kids, because they take in all that at subconscious level and then their emotions come up later and deliver it all. And they have to go through that battle to get to their true them themselves internal dialogue and not the world's. All of that look at yourself, like check yourself before you wreck yourself that our systems do keeps you from connecting your emotions in and like keeps you from knowing who you are and keeps you from exploring and using your emotions as a guide for your learning. Your emotions and your intellect are supposed to connect. When you teach your child to use their emotions to learn and lead them, you are setting them up for success. You are setting them up for amazing. I have a program that I set up for my own kids. It's called Emotions Led Learning. And it literally does set your kid up just to go into their emotions. And it's not that complicated. The child has it within them. It's just a matter of learning how to get through all the stuff that we're told that's not true to the part that is true. That's my podcast for today. I hope this was valuable. Everyone, take care. This podcast is not intended to replace professional, medical, or educational advice. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent Gifted ND Incorporated, Lillian Skinner, Bethann Johnson, or the Gifted Neurodivergent Child Podcast. This podcast, Lillian Skinner, Bethann Johnson, and the Gifted ND Incorporated are not responsible and do not verify the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast series. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. The Gifted Neurodivergent Child podcast is only available for private, non-commercial use. Any other use of the information contained within this podcast must be done with the express written approval and knowledge of Lillian Skinner and Bethann Johnson. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute any part of this podcast. The developer assumes no liability for this podcast or its use or any other podcast or other media.